Will you turn with me to the ninth chapter of Daniel? And uh, as I'm going to talk on the whole passage here, it's difficult to say that any one section is a text, but uh, notice verse 23, At the beginning of thy supplication the commandment came, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter, and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild or build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with the many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. I read for you tonight the second chapter of Daniel. <coughs> which is one of the most remarkable prophecies of all the Bible. But as I told you last Sunday night, our Savior said, I've told you things, these things before they come to pass, that when they come to pass, ye may believe. And one of the phenomena, one of the startling and compelling and commanding aspects of the Bible is that it is filled with predictions which span centuries before they're fulfilled. And this is one of the great evidences that we're dealing with a divine record, an inspired record, a true record. And it was out here in the state of Washington that the university started teaching this course on the Bible as literature, and then they brought in all this critical attack upon the Bible to give the setting and the background in which these books were written. And in their syllabus, which they gave to the students, they said that Daniel didn't write this book. Mm -hmm. That it uh, did not come into existence until about 150 years uh, before Christ. Well, Daniel, of course, lived around 600 B.C., 600, 650, during that period, 600 or, or 550. And uh, he was a prophet of the exile. He was in Babylon. And I told you the other night that you had Isaiah and you had Jeremiah and then you had Daniel. And of course Ezra then is the great leader that takes the Mount of Babylon back to the Palestine. And Ezra was a second Moses to the people of those days. He brought them out of Babylonian captivity back to the promised land. But here was, Jer here was Isaiah, 750 years. Here was Jeremiah, another hundred years later. And here was Daniel, another hundred years later. 
And all of these great prophets were telling the children of Israel they were going into exile, they were going to suffer in Babylon 70 years. And uh, uh, Jeremiah used that phrase 70 years, 70 years, 70 years. He told them in advance. And then it was Isaiah in the 44th and 45th chapters that tells them that after they've been in exile and under these sufferings for 70 years, under Cyrus, king of Persia, the decree will go forth that they can go back to the land of Palestine, their holy city. And so, in the neighborhood of 200 years before Cyrus was ever born, Isaiah was giving them the name of the great prince and the great king that would make it possible for them to come out of exile. In fact, before they ever went into exile, Isaiah was telling them the name of the great king under which they would be given permission to go back to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. And it all came to pass just exactly as Isaiah said. Cyrus was the one who recognized God's hand and decreed and gave the orders that they could go back. The duration of the captivity was 70 years, just as uh, Jeremiah had said. And remember, beloved, this was all before Christ was ever born. This was all before Jerusalem and Bethlehem and the ministry of our Lord. Here was our God dealing with these chosen people to whom he was giving this revelation of the Messiah. And he brought them out of Egypt. He'd raised up Moses. He'd given unto them David. All these various things had taken place. And now they'd come where they rejected his law and rejected his sacrifices. And they were turning aside. And they wanted to serve Baal and serve Jehovah at the same time. And they were great inclusivists. Great inclusivist. And God told them because of their sin he was going to judge them, which he did. Now they go into Babylonian exile and here's Daniel. And you see God with his own people suffering, raising up Daniel, this prophet. And you can't read this book of Daniel. You just can't read it and think it's a forgery. You just can't read the thing and think that this is just a lot of tales that have been put together after these things took place. And it's especially, it's in the 11th chapter. We're going to get into that where they just can't possibly believe that Daniel told all those things before they came to pass. But will you turn with me please now to the last chapter of the book of Daniel. The very last chapter. And in this last chapter of the book of Daniel, God is speaking to the prophet in such gracious and tender ways. But notice verse 4 of chapter 12. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Isn't it interesting that that little phrase is thrown in there just at that point? Many shall run to and fro. And if you flew around like I've been flying the last week, you'd think so. Many will fly to and fro. They are moving around this old world. And knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked. Now this is all a fake, ladies and gentlemen. Daniel didn't look at all. He didn't write these things. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on the side of the bank of the river and the other on the side of the bank of the river. And the one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? 
And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever that it shall be for a time and a times and a half. And when he shall have accomplished a scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. And then said I, O oh, my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel. Go thy way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. And the wicked shall do wickedly. They certainly are. And none of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifices shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be. For thou shalt rest and... Stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Daniel, you'll rest, but I'll raise you up. Thou shalt rest, Daniel. You're going to go to the grave, but you're going to stand in thy lot. I'm going to raise you up, Daniel. You'll be there on the resurrection day. You'll be in your place in the latter days. And that's the end of it. But some of these things even Daniel didn't understand. And so it is that the book of Daniel ties in so beautifully these figures of these days and so forth. This is the last part of the tribulation period, the last end of the 70th week, the last part of the tribulation period, just before the revelation when the Lord does come in his mighty revelation and sets up his kingdom. But I just can't read this book. I just can't handle it. I just can't look at it without saying to myself, I have in my hands inspired, infallible words which the Spirit of God gave to this man, Daniel. And he put them down for the people of God to believe and understand and know that God has his hand upon this old world and that things are shaping up in our day for this final consummation, the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we who are wise, we understand. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. They don't understand what's taking place, we do. And we understand what's taking place because we believe God and we believe this book and he's given unto us this mind of Christ, this mind of understanding, this mind to which the Spirit of God speaks through the scriptures. And so we are a believing people. We are a solid people. We are an expectant people. We are a people who can look at the struggles of the world and see things shaping up. And we are not disturbed. We're not shaken. We're not fearful. We're not... In confusion. We are a people of peace. We are a people of confidence. And we are a people of assurance. And we are a people of faith. Great faith. Because God has given us his holy word. Now tonight I read you that second chapter. And now you've all known it. Everybody knows the storage of Nebuchadnezzar's image. Strange sort of a thing. A man. An image of a man. Head of gold. 
shoulders of silver and, and the belly here of brass and legs of iron and the toes iron and clay mixed together. And then in the days of these kings, the toe kings, this little stone cut out without hands will hit it and smite it and the whole image will go up like powder and the wind will blow it away like the chaff on the threshing floor. And in those days shall the God of heaven set up his kingdom. And here was this dream and poor Nebuchadnezzar, he forgot it. How he could forget such an important dream. But it went out of his mind and he knew what the dream was and he knew what it was. He knew it was important. He knew it was the greatest thing he'd ever had in his mind. He couldn't get it back. You know why he forgot it? He forgot it because the Lord took it away from him so he could give it back to Daniel. And then Daniel could come and give it to him and Daniel's credentials would be given without any doubt. God gave him the dream and then God took away from the dream and then God troubled him and he couldn't sleep and God made him get so excited he brought in all the soothsayers and the astrologers and all these uh, diviners of the times and he said I dreamed a dream on my bed and it's forgotten I want you to tell me it's the greatest dream it was a frightful dream he says it's disturbed me he says tell it to me and they said but okay nobody's ever made such a demand tell us what the dream is and then we'll figure out some sort of an explanation for you he says, I've forgotten it. I can't get it back. You go and bring it back to me. And then if you bring back the dream to me, I will know that you're true because you will have brought the dream back. And then if you can bring the dream back, then I'll know that the interpretation you have to give me is a good, true interpretation. And so they went off and they came back and he demanded again. He said, if you man can't give this to me, I'll turn you over to my executioner and he'll go out and slay every one of you. You're not any good anyhow. I'll get rid of you. And so he was proceeding to execute his decree to kill all the soothsayers. And the word came they were looking for Daniel. Because Daniel was a dreamer. They said, let's get Daniel. And Daniel said, what's going on here? What's it all about? And they said, well, Daniel said, wait just a minute. I have a God in heaven. He knows dreams. He gives dreams. And I can appeal to him and, and he can help us. And so Daniel goes and tells the king. He says, I'll give you the dream. And then Daniel goes with these companions. There were just four of them. When you get down to these matters in the Bible over and over again, there's just two or three, or there's four, or there's six, or just 12 disciples. There's just a few of them wrote the Bible. So few were involved, just few involved. You see it over and over again. And Daniel goes to his three companions and say, let's pray and let's ask God. And so they prayed to God and God spoke to Daniel and gave Daniel the dream. He told it all to him. And Daniel then, before he even goes to tell the king about the dream, has a, has a meeting of prayer and rejoicing and he praises God and says you're no secret there's no God like unto thee and Daniel hasn't had a time even to go over to see the king and tell him about it he takes time out to rejoice and sing his praises he knows God's given him the answer and God's given him the truth and it's just a little matter to take it over to the king but now he can sing and praise God and you have this whole area here in which Daniel is praising God almighty as the great and mighty God of all the universe marvelous is that a myth? Is that something that they manufactured? <laughs> Is that somebody who put that thing together? It's too genuine. It's too, it's too beautiful. It's too natural. If man got what the Lord was going to give him and he just praises his name for it. And then he says, all right, let's go over and see the king. He goes in and tells the king. 
How dramatic it is as he stands there before Nebuchadnezzar and says, this is your dream. And he recounts it in what must have been the countenance, what must have been the sight of the eyes of that great king as, as Daniel just gave it to him. And as Daniel gave it to him, the king, you see, had the Spirit of God working on him too as the Spirit of God was bringing about it, Daniel. And as that story went down, as soon as he finished, immediately the king turned to Daniel and says, Daniel, thou art a great man. Let's worship Daniel. Daniel said, no, worship God. And then the king says, you have a great and holy God. And the king then says, all right, Daniel, I'll make you ruler over Babylon. Daniel says, no, don't make me over ruler over Babylon. Let me sit in the gate here with you. But take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my three buddies, bring them in, Lord. And let them have the rule over the provinces of Babylon. Now, Lord, this isn't a myth. This isn't a tale. And what was it? Thou art this head of gold. After thee shall arise another kingdom, it'll be silver. And after that shall arise another kingdom, and it shall be brass. And after that shall arise another kingdom, and it shall be iron. And after the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, and after that the great Grecian Empire with Alexander the Great, and that's what you get in this 11th chapter of Daniel where these details are fitted in. And finally you get the great Roman Empire representing the iron, and then you get the division of the two legs, and then you get this extenuation on down, and now we've got the iron and the clay, and we're getting into the days of these kings, and this image is standing on his feet. These feet won't mingle back and forth, and here you have the struggle. And it's in the days of the kings that the son of God is going to come and he's going to destroy this whole world system as we know it and he'll set up his own glorious kingdom as he's promised I can't read it I can't think of Babylon I can't think of the Medo-Persian I can't think of Greece I can't think of Alexander the Great I can't think of the Caesars I can't think of Augustus I can't think of Cicero or of Caesar and the great writings that we have from that period I cannot think of these things without turning to the second chapter of Daniel and here it is and those of us who live in the end time we're going to understand isn't it interesting we don't live in the period when the iron was functioning we're living in the period where you have the clay and the iron the toes and the feet it's all set up here beloved when I hold this book in my hand I hold the most sacred thing that man possesses on this earth I hold the divine infallible word of the living God and I believe that Daniel who wrote this book, I was in the spirit, I was praying, Gabriel came unto me. And when I pick up this book and look at it, it's been preserved for it. And the record's been handed down to us all these 2,600 years from the day that Daniel put it down. And when I read it to you tonight, I'm just as close to Daniel as the people were who read it when Daniel wrote it. It's been preserved for us. And this is the inspired, the holy, the true, the infallible word of God. And God has given it to us because he's the God of redemption. He's done it. He's given it to us that we might have a Savior and that we might have a way out of death and that we might have a deliverance from the darkness in which we find ourselves. It is a magnificent prophecy. Now when you turn to this ninth chapter and turn over there, you have a long series of preliminary introductions just like you did in the you always have these long preliminaries, giving the settings and the statements. And here, of course, Daniel's in prayer, and he's making his confession, and he's crying out to God all through this early part of this ninth chapter. And he appeals to Moses, and he quotes Moses, the law of Moses. 
And uh, then he says in verse 16, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem. Thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. That's right, Jerusalem was a reproach. They had sinned, and God sent his judgment upon them. Now therefore hear me, O our God. Hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Here's a man who loves the house of God. He loves Jerusalem. He loves the people of God. And he's praying, and this man is powerful in prayer. And you can't help but see the association between his prayers and the answers to prayers. When he wanted Nebuchadnezzar's vision, he went and said, Oh God, give me Nebuchadnezzar's vision. And God gave him Nebuchadnezzar's vision. And now he's crying out and he says, Oh Lord, won't you do something for Jerusalem? Won't you do something for the people of Jerusalem? Their reproach, hear our pray. Do it for the sanctuary. Do it for the Lord's sake. And you know he's going to get an answer? He's going to get the most magnificent answer to this prayer. And it's going to go into details that the image of Nebuchadnezzar never touched. The image of Nebuchadnezzar has mighty things in it, the empires and the times of these Gentiles and the Gentile world power. It's all laid out for you there. But at this time he's crying for Jerusalem, for Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And won't you deliver the people? He's going to get an answer. And God's going to give him something at this point that's going to startle. It's going to go right down to the cross of Calvary. Right to where the sacrifice is made for sin. And you'll see it. Now, will you notice? And while I was speaking, verse 20. And confessing my sins and the sins of my people. And presenting my supplications. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel. This is Gabriel who came to the Virgin Mary. Gabriel seems to be that special messenger who deals particularly with the questions of redemption. Michael dealt particularly with the questions of Israel, you know. But this is Gabriel, whom I had seen at the vision of the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touch me about the time of the evening oblation. Imagine Gabriel coming around and touching you, and not being afraid of him. Imagine Gabriel, just at the time of the evening sacrifices, coming into Daniel and catching him. That sort of an experience. Of course, we don't have them now. We don't need them now. We don't expect Gabriel to visit your living room and talk to you. I don't expect Gabriel to come around here in this pulpit. God's given us this Bible, and that's all we need. That's all we're going to have. He's promised us that we have everything. We don't need Gabriel to come. We've got the Word. But about the time of the evening sacrifices, Gabriel came. And he said, Oh, Daniel, I am come to give thee skill and understanding. Daniel, I'm come. The Lord sent me down here to give you skill and to give you understanding. I'm going to reveal God's program. I'm going to reveal God's plan unto you. Do you know, beloved, God's given us this word that we might have skill, that we might have understanding, that we might know what his program and his plan is for us as his people in these latter days. God's given us this word which we have tonight and to which I'm delivering to you people for the same reason that Gabriel came to give him skill and to give him understanding. And then it goes on and we read. At the beginning, 
of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. I wonder how long he prayed. I wonder how long it took Gabriel to come from heaven down there. I've often read that. There's a little gap in here. <laughs> they started to pray. And he said, at the time you started to pray, the commandment came to me to come on here, and now I've arrived. How long do you think it took this man Gabriel to get down there? That's an interesting question, as you see it. We're dealing with inspired words. Every word means something. It's there. The commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand this matter, and consider the vision. Daniel, God loves you. Oh, how God loves you, Daniel. He's revealed these things. Look at the mighty things he's been giving to you. And imagine, here is a story, report from heaven, and Daniel's reporting what he heard. And the University of Washington says this thing wasn't written until 400 years after Daniel died. Of all the absurd and ridiculous things. 400 years after Daniel was away, they put this book together. And that's where we got it. Well, the wicked shall do wickedly, and the wicked shall not understand. They don't understand. But we, the wise, understand because we have the knowledge of the Lord. Now, we get verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city. Seventy weeks are outlined. They're determined. Daniel, you've been praying for your people. You've been praying for Jerusalem. Now it's determined. I'm going to tell you about your people. I'm going to tell about your city. To finish the transgression, to make an end for sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Seventy weeks, Daniel, was seventy years that uh, Jeremiah said you're going to be under captivity. Now we're talking about seventy weeks. Seventy weeks. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. From the day that commandment goes forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah, that's Christ Jesus the Prince, shall be seventy weeks. Shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the walls even in troublous times. Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. Jeremiah's going to put the walls back up. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Now, beloved, this is one of the most miraculous. It's one of the most marvelous. It's one of the most exact prophecies in all the Bible. There's nothing that can anywhere come near it. Utterly fantastic. You had the image that went all the way down till the day when the stone comes and fills the earth with his kingdom and his glory. But now the Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and the people of God. And he said it'll be 70 weeks, Daniel. And he says from the time that the decree goes forth, there'll be seven weeks and then there'll be 62 weeks or a total of 79 weeks. 79 weeks. And at the end of these 79 weeks, Messiah the Prince will be cut off. And he will be cut off, not for himself. That's the cross. That's the sacrifice for the sins of his people. That's the blood of Calvary. And at the end of that time, he'll be cut off. Now you have these reference to times and half times.
And of course, we stand in a very, very fortunate position. Now all this is already passed. We can look back. But the time Daniel wrote it, they searched it out. They said, when did that decree go forth? And here's seven weeks and and 62 weeks and the wall's going to be built in troublous times and the streets are going to be repaired and they studied it and they looked at it. Just like you and I look at some of these passages, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians. Just like you and I look at some of the passages in Luke 21 today as it was in the days of Noah. Just like you and I look at Mark 13. Just like you and I study Matthew 24 and 25 and look at these things about when shall these things be and from one end of the heavens to the other and the great picture of the rapture. We study them and we look at them. We search the Greek and we analyze it. This is what it says. This is what it says. This is what we believe. This is our hope. And so we have that great anticipation. And here they search these scriptures. Daniel, you look at this. Daniel, you understand this. I'm giving you a prophecy here of what we're going to do to the city of Jerusalem. And Messiah the Prince is going to come and he'll be cut off. Now, of course, all we need to do is to take the death of Christ. We can work back, see. You can check on this thing. You can use your IBM machine if you want to. You can go back. And we don't have a problem because you can check back. And it's very plain that the years spoken of there are the week 70 weeks or weeks of years, the times and the times and the half time. It was a year. And so you've got 70 weeks with each week being a, a year. And one week would be seven years, and seven weeks would be 49 years, and, and 70 weeks would be uh, 490 years. And you can check it back from the crucifixion of Christ, and you land right here. You come right back, and you can just check back, and you land right into this period, right into this time. There's no possibility of being mistaken when you look at it from where we are and where we look at it. But you notice here, and I want you to see the section now that has not yet been fulfilled. And that's what you want to see. And this is the, the little part, just the part of this that's still hanging out here. It hasn't been actually all brought to pass yet, but it hangs on, and you can see it. Now, let me show you this, if you will. And take your Bibles and watch it very, very closely. <clears throat> know this, therefore, verse 24, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. But, or and, the people of the prince that shall come. Now this is not Messiah, this is Antichrist. Shall destroy the city. And that's why we talk about the revival of a Roman empire and the prince that will come will be some Roman, some Roman uh, leader. And that's why you see this world church developing again and you see this world state developing again and you see the tie between the church and the state and you look at passages like this and you say, well, it looks like it's going to work out that way or it could very easily. And it shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now those of you, do any of you have a Schofield Bible in your hands? If you have, if you look over in the little column, it says literally, unto the end wars and desolations are determined. Compare Matthew 24. And here you have the prince will be cut off, the city is going to be destroyed, and then on through to the end you're going to have wars and desolations and wars and desolations and wars and desolations. But there's an indefinite period through this area. And there's where you get that indefinite period at that point. A break between the 69th week 
when Messiah was cut off and the destruction of the city and the wars and desolations, you've got an indefinite period here, but you still have one week dangling out here. One week, the 70th week's still hanging up there. And what does it mean? Now look a little further. You'll see it. <clears throat> and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant. He, this is the prince that shall come. This is the false prophet, you see, or rather the, this antichrist or this dictator that's coming. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. You get your 70th week in here. Here's the one week left over. Here's the one week that isn't accounted for. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Even until the consummation, even until the end of the 70th week, even till the end, 70 weeks are accomplished. And what are the 70 weeks going to have? Bringing in everlasting righteousness. That's what he's going to bring in at the end of the 70 weeks. Beloved, it's one of the greatest things in all the world to be a preacher of the Word of God, to handle divine revelation. And if you can sit here and look at these prophecies, here's the head of gold. He was Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the shoulders of silver, Medo-Persian Empire. Here's the belly of brass, another empire. This is the interpretation there of another kingdom. And there's Greece and her glory. And here's iron, here it is. And there's your Roman empire split the east and the west. And it's been that way and moving on down. And you say, well, if the gold was true and the silver was true and the brass was true and the iron was true, why won't the toes be true? If it's all true up to that way, it's going to be true. Did you ever follow a road map? Well, I'm telling you, you better get one these days if you're going to go anywhere because you sure need them today. But you know what you do with these road maps? You drive here and you keep the road map in the seat. And they say, somebody, watch the road map. Now, am I going on the right road? She says, yeah, you pass that intersection. You're all right. Keep going. You pass that next intersection. That's where you are. Keep on going. You're on the right road. And what you do, you check off the road map. And you come they pass that point, you're all right. Next point, you're all right. Next point, you're all right. You say, well, I'll arrive at the point I'm going to in just a few minutes. And sure enough, you keep going. You get there. And we had a head of gold and we passed it. We had a, a, a shoulders of silver and we passed it. And we had a breast of brass and we passed it. And we had legs and thighs of iron and we passed it. We're getting ready to come to that moment when the stone cut out without hands will strike the image. We're getting close to it. We're on the right road. You see it. And when you come to the great prophecy of 70 weeks, Daniel, there's 70 weeks they're accomplished. And here they are, seven weeks. And the city will be built and the walls will be repaired in troublous times. And then 62 weeks and 69 weeks until Messiah shall be cut off. Not for himself. They come on down the road. They went back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the city. Ezra was there. Nehemiah was there. 62 weeks passed and Messiah was crucified not for himself. The city was destroyed. It's wars and wars and desolations and wars. We keep on having them. And then the prince of the people that shall come, he shall make a covenant for one week. 
and in the midst of that week he shall break it and there shall be desolations until the consummation the end of that one week do you mean to say this is myth you mean to say this is nice legend do you mean to say this is just nice tales that somebody put together 400 years after Daniel wrote all these things of course not it can't be myth when so much of it's already been fulfilled. can't possibly be something that we can ignore when all these different things have already come to pass. And Jesus Christ said, I've told you these things before they come to pass in order that when they come to pass, ye may believe. And we must believe these scriptures. We must believe the prophecies. We must believe what God has revealed unto us because he's given unto us the lamb which was slain for sinners upon that cross that you might be justified from your sin and your iniquity and that we might become the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we believe to the saving of our souls. And so we believe to the comfort of our daily struggles. And so we believe and we praise God that we are his people and that we delight in his blessing. The more you study it, the more you preach it, the more you handle it, the more you're persuaded that we have a divine revelation. This is the infallible word of God. And that's why it's in this church on the center. And that's why it's on the pulpit. And that's why all you have here is this blessed book. It's the word of God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, tonight we thank Thee that Daniel was able to understand the cross. Though Thou didst tell him that some of these things had had to do with the very end of all the time, he'd have to close up the book. But that in the end he would stand in his lot. And, O oh God, that we too shall stand in our lot. That we shall be in that great and glorious company of the redeemed of every age. Oh, bless us tonight. Help us tonight, Lord. Undertake for us tonight. Thou didst deliver us in the matter of WXUR when we were under assault at the time of the purchase of the station by the corporation. And now, Lord, deliver us from this assault that's been made again. Lord, may we stand still. May we see thy working. May we see thy endeavors in our behalf. Lord, we trust Thee. And yet, Lord, if it's Thy will that we lose the station, we will accept it because we know that something even greater will come out of it all. But, Lord, we desire the station, and we long that it shall be Thy will that we shall have it. For Christ's sake, amen.